Hi, welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s. We're discussing the cinema of the 2010s, and we reflect on everything monumental, overlooked, and weird cinema that has come out over the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper. I contribute to The Simple Cinephile. And I am Clay Williams, and what a day! What a lovely day! Yeah, so uh, today is the uh, inaugural episode, and we're talking about Mad Max Fury Road, um, a masterpiece. I would say my thesis would would be the best action movie of the decade. I mean, of course, there's competition, but I think this is a crowning achievement. And um, I'm pretty sure says, this is the greatest achievement in action history. Yeah, I, I would certainly movie, put it up there too. Not to already be so hyperbolic, hyperbolic. yeah, but this is truly. Um, something special and it says and I think this podcast is really trying to investigate um, what this decade means and um, how is it going to look upon reflection and we're already reflecting but um, what when is a better time than now right so Clay how'd you how'd you find yourself in in Mad Max's yeah in the Fury Road um, I want. I saw it uh, when it came out in theaters, um, probably opening weekend. This was when I was just really getting into film. Uh, I don't know what I was expecting. The trailers looked really interesting. Uh, I think it's when I got I heard about the reviews and how much how much people dug it that I really was like, all right, I gotta see this now. Um, and it was seen in theaters just kind of blew my mind. It might have been one of the few uh, first R-rated movies I've seen in theaters. I, I can't say that for sure. But it's probably around there. I might have actually saw Whiplash before that. I'm not sure. Um, but it was just a transcendent experience. Like I think a lot of people will say that because I don't know how much people were expecting from this movie. I didn't really know who George Miller was. I might have seen the first two Mad Maxes before this one, but I can't tell you for sure. Um, but this movie just blew me away. Um, this was when I was just like figuring out what my taste was, um, and I started like rating films, but. The idea was, like, when I first saw it, I was just like, oh, I guess these are what movies are. This is what they can achieve. And it's it, it's just a great movie. How mm. about you? Yeah, um, so we're both 20 years old, and I, I think we're going to have a lot of – or I just rounded. It's like when you yeah. ask for the time, and it's like 2.23, and you say 2.30. I don't know. Tech news. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think once we dive into how we discovered something in uh, as we go on, I think we're going to have similar experiences. So, yeah, I also saw this opening weekend, and I remember this is also when I first got into film, and this is when you are trying to discover critics and those that know better than you. So I start I uh, started watching this this critic on YouTube. He's he's been around for this past decade, Chris Duckman. Um he's he's um quite famous and I remember I I, I, I remember actually, distinctly, huh? I think his review actually was one of the big pushing points for me. Yeah, for, yeah, that's exactly what it was for me and I saw his review and it was something like I'm paraphrasing, but it was like eighty eighty eight, die hard, ninety two, yes, 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 yes. T two, 
uh, 2008, Dark Knight, 2005, like, he's naming off, like, um, milestones in the action genre, and then he includes Fury Road, Fury Road, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I was kind of taken aback, where, yeah, it was a huge hook, because I'd seen, I believe, I mean, obviously, I'd seen, I think I'd seen all of them that he had named, those milestones that he had recalled, so I think that's absolutely a red flag right there, where it's like, okay, this is something very important that um is an, is it's an event um so i saw it and yeah it's just blown away um i i still get goosebumps just listening to junkie xl score and Great. seeing those images with those that um john seal shot this uh majestically i <laughs> those oranges and those yellows those blues just pop you know and I, I just I just cannot believe what I was seeing. Like walking out of there was like when some kids saw Apocalypse Now in the seventies and they just had to like really reflect. Like like you know what I'm saying? Like it's it was just something that you that you were sh- shaken shaken by. <laughs> Vietnam was crazy, man. Yeah. And it wasn't even um it wasn't anything that was trying to be too like um violent or um or gory without but it but it is very grungy and metal so it strikes that ba- that tonal balance as well um you could have really seen this yeah. as a PG-13 movie so that so later that's this came out that may i remember that much and later that summer i just i actually didn't know this was a part of a fran- i did i didn't know it was a part of a franchise but i didn't i di- i hadn't seen any of them this was the, actually the first one because I knew I knew this was a reboot, like this was a Mel Gibson role that Tom Hardy was now taking taking on as um, as a recasting. So I then des- decided, well, if this one's this good, then they all must be like this. <laughs> and so I bought all of them <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on Blu-ray, and I just like I saw the first one. And Mad Max and Road Warrior on like a snowy day or something. I was like, wow, that was that was excellent. I was just and again, I was just like, whereas it's like when you get into when you start developing your taste, um, anything, anything that isn't what you've seen before can sometimes feel precious. So that's what Mad Max and Road Warrior seem to me where it's like kind of grungy, grimy, um, dirty, man handmade things that seemed like they were actually from a different time. And um, Road Warrior especially, because that is where I think um, it's mo- that's the one that's most like Fury Road. So 100%. I think if, if anyone sees Fury Road and they're like, wow, I want more of that shit, then... Road Warriors is absolutely what what precedes it and still reflects the things that Miller was trying to accomplish um, then but just did not have the technology for until 2015. The um, first Mad Max is actually pretty uh, simplistic and kind of yeah. classic. And, it's like and I like that. I, lo- I love that because um, I, it's been a little bit I I rewatched Fury Road last night 
and I saw Thunderdome for the first time, which is not as bad as I was expecting. It's not the it's not Mad Maxi as road work like you would think the way franchises work is like the everyone builds on the past and Thunderdome just doesn't do that. Like he clearly had other ideas in mind than he had in um Road Warrior. He was like, I wanna deviate. I think that was that was jarring. Um so I saw Thunderdome and it was not at all what I seen it. anyone was yeah it's it, it has that same look and feel but um yeah it's it's reserving all the road warrior um interested yeah yeah i can't i can't say that word um so hard word but what was i gonna yeah and then the first one it's a great revenge tale but max isn't even um the main character i think it's goose his um his partner in crime at the um police at the um Australian police department um yeah i i, I think it is it's funny it, there's a lot more char- like actual characters in the first one i think i think yeah. it has much more dialogue it's actually a lot of character interaction mm. and it it also kind of starts out as a procedural and mm. it shows actually like some civilization it almost feels like, and the reason there, I feel like there is a reason that Road Warrior is not called Mad Max. Uh, um, that's the, when it was really, it was just called the Road Warrior because I do feel like the first one was more of a jumping off point than it was the first installment. I think Miller wanted to do something a little much more different. Um, and the funny thing about this uh, Fury Road is it is so not connected to those movies. Um, Hardy, of course, is totally different, but he doesn't even, you can kind of tell that he is maybe doing an Australian accent, but accent, it's hard, like, it sounds more like regular Hardy, but a little more um, uh, deep and a little grungy. He definitely changes his octaves at some times. He does. Yeah. I, I just, I don't think he, so it doesn't feel like there's any real connection to the others. He doesn't have his famous V8 car. I mean, you see it once in a while. um there's no there's this you know the opening uh dialogue of how he used to be a road warrior does connect to it in a sense but besides that uh the girl he's haunted by is not in any of the movies um the the only real connection to be honest is his name is max john (laughs) he was in this post-apocalyptic hellscape yeah a lot of the people he's around are Australian. Yeah, and I think um, it's not even confirmed if it is Australia. No, because... And the actors things... are Australian, so I think that's the only implication. Yeah, I mean, and not even <clears> all of them. Charlize is not Australian. Um, Zoe Kravitz is an Australian. Riley uh, Keough, yeah. yeah. Nicholas exactly. Holtz, there's yeah. A, I was thinking, this... I know Imperial... Uh, Imper- no, um... Joe. Immortan. Immortan Joe, Joe. yeah. He, he's he plays Australian. A in yeah. The first, yeah. He plays a villain in the first. Lord Humongous. Uh, no, no, no. He, in the first toe Cutter. One, toe Cutter, right? Toe, toe Cutter, yes. I do. This is might be one of my favorite franchises. Only because. It, there's, not, there's just not. I don't. There's just not a lot of lore. <laughs> and. Um, the lack of, of, like, building upon the world itself but the world just kind of like the situation is the lore <clears throat> there's the no fight. connective tissue between 
the worlds really besides that they're post-apocalyptic yeah um yeah they but there are it is a world that he developed in each movie but it's not a mythology no in this one you see you know they use all this they have this kind of different vocabulary it's not like a different language but there's different vocabulary this uh different slang like schlanger i always remember that (laughs) in fact he's so concerned about the world building that he forgets to even make max um like a character he's i think that's why people weren't so up in arms about mel leaving the role it's not even just about his age or his public life but it's more like this guy has nothing to him he i think that if i were to criticize this is that max really is he's more of like a um um surrogate yeah a little bit of surrogate and he serves as as just a he could be just called man he doesn't really serve as um as anything too active in the story yeah he doesn't even say his name until the very end yeah i mean well i mean he says it in the opening dialogue that Um, and and but yeah no it's interesting yeah I think actually something that I do feel like that this movie does not get enough credit. And I hear this criticism on is, oh, Hardy's not really doing much. He's just, you know, he's, he, you know, he's muttering all these, you know, you know putter and mutters. Mm. That's all he does. Putters and mutters. He talks under, he, he talks under, um, under his breath. Um, and I really disagree. I think Hardy does a lot in here. I think it's his physical acting and his, um, and his reactions. I think he's sometimes the, like a, uh, a silent movie star. In this movie, where it's yeah, 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 agree. and just in the way that he um, he controls his mannerisms and the facial expression expressions um, during the fight sequences, um, especially and like I'm thinking of uh, um, yeah, when during the cli- during the crescendo of it all, he's just he's just like kind of when he's in peril. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's just in panic, but it's almost like comical in the way that he shows the panic. <clears throat> yeah, he, he's, he just does a lot of things with his physical movement um, and his body language, too. I really think he does a superb job in this movie because he understands that he's not going to have a lot of dialogue. He's not going to have much character development. He just has to really be in the movie and react off of what is happening. You know, people say acting is reacting, and I really think... Hardy does some amazing reacting in this movie. He is just kind of, like you said, you know, it's like an audience surrogate. He's just kind of seeing everything for the first time because Joe Rosa has already had a relationship with, um, with Morton Joe's wives, and he's she's already kind of lived in this world. She knows about the war boys and everything. Max is introduced to all of this, and this society we've never seen in a Mad Max film. This isn't um, maybe Thunderdome, but like this is really totally. This is the scale, you know, literally and uh, figuratively is just so much bigger. Uh, and going back to really... Furiosa, going back to Furiosa, that is the um, the biggest Trojan horse that this that any mo- that one of yes. that this big of a movie has pulled, especially in a I would say beloved franchise. Yeah, sure, beloved franchise is not making Max the uh, the lead, but it's Furiosa's story, really. Um, and yeah. I can't really, I can't really seem to recall anyone that saw that coming, um, because he's never had a co-lead. I think it's 
maybe even the gyrocopter, Bruce Spence as the gyrocopter, that would even yes. be classified as a co-lead. But Furiosa fits right in, and it's like you don't, you feel like just the moment that she pops up on screen driving that rig, it, you you know that uh, she has total control, and um, yeah, and such a presence that Charlie springs to that character. Yeah, she is. She is amazing. Yeah. Um, Truly, one of the great performances, and, or at least like, like character performances. Like this is one of the best characters of the decade. <clears throat> definitely, it, it's also it's super iconic. Mm. Uh, there is so she much actually lost an arm for this. Talk. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, cut it off herself. Yeah, crazy. Very scary for everyone. The things people will do for yeah. I mean, it, I think it worked. I yeah, think it worked. I think well. it worked well too. Um, how cool is that metal arm? It's insanely cool. It's um, so dope. I want that. <laughs> um, but it's also the way that it's designed because you wouldn't, like when you think of a, a, ma- a manufactured arm, it would be like kind of what you see in like Empire Strikes Back where it's like metal glossy. and and, glo- yeah, and and it would be all wired high and tech. high tech. But this is in that world. So it's like it's used with like a belt and like rope. And it's like it's like you think it's gonna fall apart sometimes. Like, I, I just think it, it, it looks little like little that. things like that is just what makes the rewatches so, um, so, so much so much better than the first time. It's also like everything, all the like um, tech or uh, tools in this movie looks like it came from a junkyard. Um, so much so that something I noticed on this watch is that the pedal um, for the truck. Is you ever you know you ever go into like a shoe store and you're like oh how big is my foot actually and you get this like kind of metal measuring thing that mm. has this uh, has this notch that will go up to your um, uh, to the top of your foot and then the back of your it's like this scale basically for measure that's the pedal for the truck mm. it's that exact thing it's how you would measure your foot in a shoe store with this you know this you know metal crappy scale that's how that's the you know the production design in this movie is extraordinary because they understand that each little detail makes the world so much more um uh captivating and interesting you get drawn in um and you see how much it feels like everything has a history to it again there's not much mythology to it but it sounds that you're just like okay this society has been here long like long before we've watched this and will be here long after and I think the um, timeline is well so established. The timeline is well established. Um, even if this is like your first Mad Max foray, um, your first foray into Mad Max, yeah, it it sets it up well um, through Hardy's narration in the very beginning. Also, with how Max is so withdrawn in uh, in trusting. Uh, Furiosa, because as the as the viewer, you're like clearly she's fine. Like we should be, like she's not sinister. She doesn't have she has ulterior motives, but they're um, innocent and and right. But he's so paranoid through this through this hellscape that he's that he's living in now, where it's like oh we have to yeah we have to like remind ourselves like right we he's been here a while he's seen shit and. He's like a feral animal in this movie, especially in the beginning. And they even say as much how, like, uh, <clears throat> how the um, 
the war boys and everyone just saying how kind of crazy it crazy he is and how he's just like this animal they're using the they blood bag muzzle on him yeah, it, yeah. It, it's just you can see i mean there is maybe some character uh development in how he's less of a, a feral you know monster or mm. not monster but a feral animal at the end of the movie. feral mongoose uh, if you will seriously uh yeah he looked he, he that's the thing also his eyes especially in the beginning you can just kind of tell you can sense the crazy from him and yeah i don't and i like how they kind of maintain that like how he keeps he's so broken but also like manic that i feel that it's just you can't really understand him as a person yeah like he doesn't really have a personality so to speak um you don't see like him making this one joke that it just you know slays in the audience and everyone's oh max you gotta love that guy he's just this yeah he's not quippy yeah no 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 barely says anything um yeah because you don't mel's take if i remember correctly is that he's just um he's just kind of like observing uh the looney tunes around him because yeah. in the first in the first one society hasn't broken like it, it's not a wasteland yet but you can see like things are plummeting like i think that um oil and energy is at an all-time low um gangs are running rampant corrupt the police are corrupt so it's like little things are trickling down but society hasn't fallen yet um like max has a family um i know and that's kind of like the crux of what breaks him as a person is like that i think it was um johnny the kid and his gang kills um his wife and son and that's that's the kind of catalyst that brings him into just like being a loner um there's one reference in this movie when um, when Furiosa and the many mothers are driving uh, towards the salt uh, for what they think is going to be 160 days, and Max first says, so I'm not going to go with you. He's looking out, and then he has these um, uh, flashbacks or visions of the little girl that he let die. Um, and then when he kind of finally decides, oh, I guess I should go, see in the distance, um, this kind of... Uh, shadow or this figure of what looks like to be a kid and says you know um come uh, come on daddy mm. uh, and i and that's that's the only connection you see to like his <clears throat> child um from the first one but still it's so vague in the connections i like it's interesting because like mel in those first two movies especially are, is so australian yeah. and so and hardy doesn't even try an accent I don't think I, I. You can maybe see that it might be going in and out, but he just seems kind of like a different character, and he doesn't look like Mel Gibson. Neither of us are Australian, as you can tell. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, no, no, of course not. I think I don't know if I remember this correct, but I think Charlize has lived in Australia. No, South Africa. Mm. I, I was mistaken. I think it's fascinating to look upon the. Um, the casting of Hardy and Charlize and just where they were in their careers. Um, Apparently they were at each other's throats on set. Were they? Yeah, I, I think they've, it sounds like they've made up, but they, they had some uh, issues. 
And I'm not sure. I think it's just because of how horrible that shoot was and how many delays, and they were in the middle of the fucking desert, and everyone was miserable, I think. And Miller was breaking his back. Yeah, because I think we should also mention that Thunderdome came out in 83, and this came out in 2015. So I don't know how much of of a hankering the Mad Max... Uh, fans had for like a reboot but clearly Miller had this continuation burning inside of him so it's almost like it it didn't matter that anyone was expecting this in fact I think it's even better that people weren't um weren't really expect expecting this to be as good as it was um because it shows how expectations can sometimes devalue um something's overall um excellence thunder thunderdome came out in 85 85 okay um, yeah so but yeah they there are so many production delays uh the movie <clears> went <throat> through three actors at first he was going to do um a sequel to thunderdome with mel then um either that idea was dropped or maybe mel's personal life got in it way of that and then he cast uh keith ledger as max and that was what uh miller thought was the perfect casting and of course the unfortunate passing of him Mm. led to hardy uh so this movie's been going through a ton of stages took so long to make went through some of the like just craziest set uh on set um shoots with uh the weather and the crazy stunts they did the insane stunts those it's it it can it's really telling what um how great doing actual physical stunts in this movie really makes it how it's breathtaking it's breathtaking yeah um they use cgi in a really clever way of they you can see it sometimes but mm. they definitely use the the environment and this is not what you see these days they use the environment to really kind of mask it whether it be the sandstorm or um or basically uh maybe one real explosion covering and maybe a body flying off at cgi it, it, they use the actual environment and look of everything to kind of mask and uh, make the cgi a, little, a much more tolerable and harder to notice yeah which i feel like a lot of big budget movies kind of forget that there are ways to not make the CGI look so, like, fake. The key to Fury Road is its craft. Like, this movie is... Its craft is its appeal, really. That's the reason why it got Oscar nominations as well. It's the reason why it it was financially viable. And uh, it's like Miller (laughs) has a fascinating career, right? So he does Mad Max's within the span of three years. He does a part in Twilight the movie... Thunderdome, and then Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil, Babe, two happy feats. So he's making movies for his kids, and then he does Fury. And then he does Fury Road. Oscar nomination for Babe, and then like he's into animation, and then Fury Road in 2015. So the fact that he escaped, he escaped um, live action. Uh, from 98 to 2011, it shows that um, he's just, he wasn't, he didn't like leave. 
he just had other interests, right? So he's, like, sneaky about this. He also takes his time for each one of his shoots. Uh, You'll see, like, he doesn't make too many movies because he, and I think uh, studios have uh, complained about this, but he really takes his time filming each and every movie. Mm. Uh, This one especially, but that's a lot of the production delays, but... So he's shoot. He's gonna shoot his new movie earlier earlier this year, or sorry, early next year in twenty twenty with Edris Alba and Tilda Swinton called. Uh, it's a, rom- a romantic generational epic called uh, Three Thousand Years or something like. Three thousand years of longing. Uh, but, yes, three thousand years of longing, and that's apparently he's already said that's gonna take a few years, and like how he's gonna take his time filming and and editing and crafting. I mean, that's why you get this movie. It's because it's so well-crafted and so well-made. It took a long time. That's why we're probably not going to get a movie. Uh, we're not going to get another Mad Max to, like, 2025. I'm okay with that, uh, really. I think... I, I am, too. Fury Road is so... Um, it's it's long... It's why we're still talking about it right now. It's It's longevity has shown even in four years. And how this is going to look <clears throat> in uh, like 14 years is going to be just as um, – it's going to be just as precious. Well, that's why I think yeah. it's the greatest action achievement. I'm not saying the greatest action movie. You can make the case of Die Hard or Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the idea – the craft of this and how big it is with the different stunts and um, production delays and how they use – I mean, the sets are, I mean, it's not set. They shoot on location. It's so incredible. That's and what makes this movie so great is you can feel that they are in the actual desert. You feel this. I was talking about earlier how Hardy is almost like a silent movie star. And Fury Road acts like a silent movie at times. Where this, this, and Miller has said as much. Yeah. Um, everything is just in the center of frame. And you feel like everything is just geographically right um this isn't anything that that takes um that takes anything too out of whack it is looney tunes but i think that's that's just what makes it that's just what makes it great is is that its simplicity is um its simplicity is what makes it great yeah, I, I. It's also it's a silly movie. Yeah, yeah. It's really silly, and it's great. <clears> but it's like <throat> how we have the the people eater, the guy with the huge feet, uh, the, the baby with the farm. beard, and the man it's with the guitar. So, it's it's, so it's silly. silly. Yeah, it's very silly. And the just the different uses of the words, um, you know, mother's milk, yeah, mm. like war boys, war pups, war brigs. Right. It's just, it's so, it's simple, it's silly, but it's all, you know, and it's weird, like the, uh, and the it's all body... visual, it's all visuals. Um, exactly. like you were talking about earlier, how the schlanger, like that's, that's a word that sticks with you in the way that, um, um, that it's, that it's said with, with the aggression, but, all, it's so but it's like, too. yeah, and all these, and all these things, and especially the one of the most, even an even more animated performance than Hardy, I think, is Nicholas Holt, as um, he's great as Nux. And, yeah, he's 
it, this that role should not be as well fleshed out like, as it, it is. It has the character arc of yeah. this movie. Yeah, um, certainly as as someone who um, has the desire to sacrifice and um, and the dream to live up to the god that he has been worshiping is probably his whole life, and um, he's worked as essentially um, a Nazi, and. I, I, yeah, he's been brainwashed. Yeah, he's been brainwashed, and <clears throat> you see, like the the look of devastation on his face when he was he was going onto the war rig, and um, Joe himself sprayed his face, and it was just like I he like drops the gun, I think, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> like, he trips with the chain that he yeah, still has. Yeah. It's so. It's also Good like Lord. I saw it coming, and I always am like, God damn it! Yeah, like yeah, I've seen, I've seen this movie a stupid amount of times by this point, and it's always just like and so it's like sad. I always like, forget everything is coming. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost, <clears> you could have done it. Um, um, he's great. He's it's so performance given, driven. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's also given a lot to do in the beginning to like kind of ham it up, and mm. I, I, yeah. and I think that's that must have been so fun for him. Oh yeah, just to oh, yeah. be this crazy just like a uh, bombastic guy. Um, and the war boys, they're, they're such an interesting thing. There are like, you know, there are these brainwashed soldiers who are so dedicated and obsessed with Martin Joe. Um, and with that body, I don't blame them. And I, and so they're just, and they, for some reason they kind of hate each other. They're always, I mean, not hate each other, but like they're so competitive with one another that even when like one of them sacrifices, they're like, ah, I seem better. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, right, it's so right. adversarial and how like there's no real like I don't think there's really like a a, a bond between any of them. It's all competent. Yeah, it's almost like um when you have people turn against one another for competition, camaraderie is non existent anymore. Um They're cutthroat. Yeah, they're cutthroat and and it's 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 like this is all things that we've seen before, but it's like Miller tells this all without much, um, well, I wouldn't say build up, but it was, it's just, um, it goes to show how, how locked in Nicholas Holt and, and the rest of those actors who portrayed the war boys are. So they wouldn't have, they do a lot with a little essentially. Exactly. And I think it was, I think that's Miller's direction of, um, making sure that everyone understands what uh what or like who they are what is what are the war boys um and what is their uh behavior like mm. and i think it's just kind of it might be a broad direction it might have given the same direction to all the background players but i think it works because they understand like the connection and the vibe they're going for and how that represents the story that became before them like the, before this movie you can get a sense of oh these war boys have been doing this for a long time they look Love Joe. Uh, they've been on these. They've been trained. They're they pray to the V eight God. And this movie is also like it's weird and it has like these religious undertones that I don't know if I can understand. Besides, it just it feels very cult like. Yeah. Um, like I I remember in, during the beginning when um, Morton Joe gives that speech and he's like, "Do not become addicted to water." Um, in this this one extra kind of like has this one line reading where he's like, it's coming. And the way he, he says that implies that this is a treat. This the is makeup an, is so well Yeah, the makeup is great too. Like they all just look so 
in need of a shower and like the body oh, deformities God. how does yeah right crazy and you don't even see we're not even there for that long we're really just this is the furiosa show um all the <clears throat> weird moles and uh tumors on everyone tum- yeah on and the lack of so the lack of teeth <laughs> exactly um they're also like when you first see morton joe you don't even see his face you see him like you see his body of all these like fucking i don't even know like his it's just this extremely like white-skinned body with all of these horrible like deformities on him like these moles and tumors and rashes mm. and it's just he's gross and like there, there's some really cool like visceral things in this movie with how how everyone looks and uh, how, you can really this is what if you uh this is one of the few movies where i really feel like oh yeah no, there's no way this was not a, this is not a post-apocalyptic world mm. how everyone has these deformities or things that really show oh yeah there was an apocalypse there's radiation everyone is like all of the stuff is so it's so well done and so uh detailed yeah oh yeah um there's just not a whole lot not not there's not a whole lot like it and i feel like we're very fortunate to have um to have miller give us um he gives us he gives us the um the event of our of the decade you know um he really does. And there's little exposition, too, which you won't see with most. Right, right. Yeah, that's movies. the other thing. Um, and we were talking about how little um, side characters are are just as memorable as Furiosa and Max. And the... Um, the dirt bike bros. The dirt bike, the, yeah. The, you know, the uh, spiky guys that come before the canyon to fight and they were also like speaking this weird language before you see this quick one quick shot of right when they yeah see yeah the war rig entering their um entering their territory they it's like they're speaking russian or it's something. a bit like star and wars kind of, where it's like yes yeah. exactly yeah, it's 100 you because you're also you're just being dumped into this world and you're hearing these lyrics it's like an amalgamation languages. of different uh languages exactly and you're, you're seeing all this weird design how everyone has this distinct design some you know they have the the dirt dirt bike bros have these kind of like uh, weird foliage or um, what do you uh, ghillie suits if you know what that means it's more of, it's uh, what like snipers would wear to completely blend in with the background and the then the spiky guys speaking this weird language you're kind of just dumped in and everyone has this unique design you can really tell the difference between who and where. And you know the bullet farmers, all this kind of stuff. It it dumps you into this land of different people, different uh, societies, different different ideas and concepts. People, you know, the bullet farm, it, like the the bullet farm guy is just like is obsessed with his his religion, bullet is farm. guns and bullets. Bullet farm. Yeah, it's so interesting, and it's just he creates this world like no other without yeah. giving you much exposition. It's totally like Star Wars. Um. That's but that is the the uh, the drawback where it's like the big complaint about this during its theatrical run um was it was lacking in in story it was all a visual spectacle but I think that complaint would would be valid if that were not the intention and I think that was very much the intention it was like I was 
um, I brought up earlier. This was, I think this, this was, um, George's, George Miller's, um, original vision ever since 1979 when he first started this, like, but the technology just was not there yet. Um, he's got to be in his seventies now and, and to, to see him (laughs) make something like this and people half his age are just not even halfway at this level. Um, it's just quite remarkable to see to see just the patience that he had for um for the technology himself and also you if you're not this is not that much this is not that complicated of a story but if you have the emotion behind it if you have the uh kinetic feel of it that it can work a lot of these movies these big budget movies are to have this you know uh completely overdone complicated um plot to have this to make the audience feel like, oh, I've never seen this before, but it lacks the emotion or the creativity like this. I think Miller understands that if, even if you have a simple story that we've seen a thousand times, but have add something new to it visually and have the characters stay true and give them the emotional payoff that you want. I mean, the, scene, the most iconic scene of this movie is not an action sequence or anything. The most iconic scene is Fury Rosa uh, taking her arm off in the middle of the desert, kneeling down and screaming. One of the most iconic shots, too. I That's mean, amazing. when when John Seal take again, like I, you cannot say enough good words about about his work here. Um, he has that shot when he like pulls back, and it's like just this wide ocean of sand, and just this little speck that's Furiosa, and she's just wailing because because of this all this work and energy put into finding her homeland and to find out that it wasn't even there is just like, ugh. It's Man, so, yeah, Charlie's is so good and and a lesser, um, a lesser performance could not have sold that as, as well as it was. <clears throat> it wouldn't work. This no. movie, because it would have been still like this technological and uh, achievements, but you don't have that emotion, you don't have that character. This movie becomes a great-looking blockbuster that everyone forgets. Yeah, yep. But Fury Rosa really just adds something. It's just a huge emotional moment. Like, uh, this time I kind of teared up because I felt so involved in the story. Oh, yeah. Because cause you feel like, oh, we need to get to the green place. We need to get to the green place. And how how determined she is. And, like, she is also very comfortable. She's not that great of a person. If you see the first fight with Max, she... Would, she basically was dead set on killing him. She oh, yeah. pulled the trigger on the shotgun and it just misfired. Yeah. That's another thing <clears throat> that connects to the previous movies. There's a gag in all the Mad Maxes where his double barrel shotgun always misfires because it's this piece of shit. <laughs> um, and which it was just fun. I like that connective tissue. Um, but it's she she's she'll kill anyone. She just has this. Aunt, like, I mean, listen, that's not Kevin Feige continuity, but we'll take it. Yes. Yeah, no. And uh, that's the other thing. Like, um, Max himself is not that badass. He never has been um, someone that walks... I mean, he looks badass in the original trilogy because he's surrounded by all these eccentrics. But here, Furiosa greatly overpowers him. And um, that's the... um, So much so that he hands her hands her the gun he misses twice the two times when the uh bullet farm guy is coming and they need to shoot the spotlight 
so they can so we can stop shooting. He they have three bullets. He shoots twice, completely misses, and has to relent. So I'm like, I can't do this as well. And he gives Furiosa the gun. That is perfect storytelling. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What it represents yeah, definitely. for those characters. Ah. And it also just shows that Miller was like, no, Furiosa is the the better fighter, more equipped, more skilled. Mm-hmm. That's just the facts. Max is this, you know, really. I don't want to say lucky, but he just gets through it. He's a survivor. He's not necessarily a like the most badass guy. Like his only badass moment we have of him that's truly like, oh, he did this all by himself. We don't really see. We just see him come back after he destroyed the bullet farmer with, uh, with the blood on his head, which is a great moment. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, he's like, you're bleeding. It's not his blood. It's <laughs> what is this mother's awesome. milk? Yeah. And he just starts, it, he, and he's so withdrawn too, which I think is a choice. I don't think that's Hardy being like maybe not the best actor. I think that's a choice because Max doesn't really, he doesn't connect with anyone. And that's, and that's why Furiosa means a lot to him because he's like the only person he's connected to in so long. I also think this was my first introduction to both of Zoe Kravitz and Riley Keough. They're great. Um, they're, yeah, they're both excellent as, um, Riley Keough especially um, servicing as as a key to Nux's arc and also Nux helping her with this situation right like they both bring out the humanity and good within one another and I don't think and this is the first time that he actually took that chance um, with any other additional characters that wasn't Max um in these movies and it pays off greatly um oh yeah the, the yeah. witness me at the end is so again yeah, these it's, emotional it's moments yeah. that you connect with the characters this is not this is not the greatest script ever written this is a really functional story these yeah. The, yeah the thing that i think you and me have both heard um when we listen to like we listen to blank check and something they say a lot the first of many how, shout outs i'm sure yes we will definitely uh shout out to blank check how yeah. yes blank check with griffin and david please listen to it um but they um griffin talks about how functional storytelling isn't necessarily a bad thing even if it's a story you've seen before there's a reason why these stories have maintained throughout history uh, the reluctant hero uh helping uh helping with this um this outcasted um, group, getting them back to where they belong, having uh, maybe a, a double agent, not a double agent, but someone brainwashed, it be incorporated and redeemed through heroic acts and sacrificing himself. We've seen this a million times before, but if you have these emotional moments and you have this new aesthetic surrounding them, it becomes so, it becomes great because those stories work. It's just, it's proven. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a reason why the hero's journey um, sticks with so many modern filmmakers. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's just astounding. I I can't really think of I can't really think of a time that I left a cinema. I'm, well, I guess I can, but this is one of the first times that I left the cinema and, and felt like this was a, a, a modern classic. Like this would um, absolutely stand the test of time and. Um, like other times I I've walked out of like Blade Runner 2049 and First Reformed and um, uh, yeah like there's been other times since then but 
this was this was absolutely going to live live on um as something that we that we look 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 back on with with um influential means 100 yeah. and <clears throat> this movie I, I think this movie certified my love of cinema i think i was like i was already into it mm. i was really you know i was on that journey but walking out of this movie kind of changed everything for me like oh no this is something i want to like uh watch and study and love for the rest of my did this life. make you a hardy fan i know that this was post dark knight rises and hardy's no, I, your boy I, 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 I didn't necessarily know. Well, Hardy is my boy. I, I, this, I won't be talking about this. Yeah, we'll come back to he's this. Tom yeah. Hardy. He's a gorgeous, big decade man. for he's him. Great acting. I, I love Hardy. Uh, and I'm sure we're gonna no, come I, back I, to I, Riley Keough as well. Yeah, probably. And Nicholas Holt. Uh, and I, yeah, yeah, definitely. They, they, yeah, I mean, all these actors. I mean, Charlie's their own. It's just they have all been working and they've yeah. all been doing some really good stuff. Uh, but Hardy, I didn't really. Even though I was a Batman fan and I, I saw Dark Knight Rises way before this, I didn't really know who was behind the mask. Oh, that's uh-huh. that sounds sinister. Yeah, it no, it's I I didn't really understand. Oh, that was Tom Hardy. Mm. It, it took me a long time to really realize that because you know he he's also like he's never really been bald in the movie besides Bronson, and I didn't see Bronson for a while. And it completely covers his face. He has a modulated voice, so it, it didn't really dawn on me. Oh, that's Tom Hardy. So this was really my, this was probably my main introduction. See, that I was that's that, funny that you bring up Bronson. That was my introduction to Tom Hardy. Jesus. And really? um, we'll that's get into that. We'll get into that up. if we ever cover Drive. But um, yeah, Bronson is is quite the performance. It is uh wait that's 2008 i'm pretty sure so yeah, yeah that's some time so good that's some time before fury road and it's it's like who is this person like it's quite a uh, i think that hardy was a thing before bronson but i can look that up actually. yeah he was in rock and roll um but rock i know i I'm, i was mistaken the intro the, uh, the thing that introduced me to hardy and I think everyone actually is Inception. Inception, yeah, yep. Hmm. Uh, where he's so charismatic and so like yeah, he's uh, mag- he's like magnetic. He actually has some uh, charisma in that. Like he's not just not to say anyone else is given nothing, but I think that like he's Leo so and Gordon Levitt are quite reserved. Um, hundred percent. He's the one that actually gets to have some, some swagger to him. And he he's really, so he really, he really plays it up. Yeah. Yeah. No. He's. He, I love. I love me some Tom Hardy. Um, and this also probably certified my love for Tom Hardy. Yeah. But when walking out of this movie, so I was just getting into films. I loved rating films. I was like, you know, I was. Let me put in. This is before I got into Letterbox. This was like IMDb. Um, so I was just rating Letterbox for those who don't know, of. it's a social networking for logging film and what Films. you watch. Yeah. Yeah, making lists completely, you know, com- taking uh having all of the films you've ever watched uh in a database and make sure that, you know, it's marked and all that kind of stuff. It's a great site, please use it. We're both on it. Um, we could put that in the description. We will. Yes. We will. So, that sounds appropriate. Because that's yeah, because and you might get hints of what 
we'll be covering in the future. Maybe not. We re- we watch a lot of movies, so you never know. Um, but coming out of the film, I was like, I only gave four tens back then. I don't know why. I was I was I was kind of like, okay, there's only four amazing movies that I've ever seen, and that and I think back then, since I was just getting into film, I really, didn't really discover uh, stuff that was in depth besides like the you know the the reverential of, of like Pulp Fiction, The Dark Knight, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and I forget what the fourth one was. But you know, the classic, you know, when you're just getting into film movies, you watch first and you walk or whatever. Um, and this, coming out of this movie, I'm like, well, that's a 10, obviously, but I don't know if it's like my fourth favorite movie of all time. So it changed, it changed the way I look at and rate movies. That's how crazy it was for me. It was just like, well, that's a perfect movie, obviously. But it's probably not like maybe it might be in my top ten. I don't know, but it's a perfect movie, and I just it ch- it changed uh, how I how I view films and how successful they can be at what they try to do. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. It's it's very formative for both of us. Um, I I I'll be absolutely looking back on this the way that um, I think fans that saw the first Mad Max in in cinemas look back on that one um road warrior especially Ro- is, yeah i should say considered... road warrior yeah um it's fantastic um i i think that we could go on for hour days hours about this film we could we could do one of those like every heat minute where it's like just <laughs> we just talk about the i think there was a mad max yes, minute there was. yeah and george um, miller listened to it and loved it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as we could absolutely turn this podcast into another Mad Max minute, but I think we're running out. We're running on like fifty-six minutes right now, so this seems like a good place to wrap it up. We should end with one uh, your favorite scene of the movie. Oh, yeah, or sequence. Um, I think mine. Oh, my favorite sequence. God damn. Uh, I have mine. If you yeah, you can go then. Um, there's a lot of great moments. Of course, the Furiosa, you know, screaming in the desert. Uh, I, I gotta say one more thing. The onset location is so key to this movie because you see the sand just kind of flow through the air and it makes it so much more visceral. But my favorite scene is when the dirt bike bros, the dirt bike, dirt bike boys, uh, attack them when they're just getting, uh, when they just exited the canyon, uh, and it blew up, uh, blew up. Yeah, cutting off Morton Joe, and they like ju- and they start bombing uh, the war rig, and they keep jumping over, and then we get into this action sequence of um, of Max and Furiosa just shooting all of these guys with chunky XLs score just like kind of building up, and it's just like it's like you said, it's a silent, it's not a silent movie, but it's just there's no dialogue, it's just pure action, yeah. kinetic energy yeah. with great music, and it really pumps me up. It draws me in so much. I think my fav if I got to have one moment that I'm consistently uh, reflecting upon, would have to be what you were talking about earlier. Um, when uh, Max just hands the gun back to uh, Furiosa, and he just kind of comes to that realization where he's like, and I don't think it was the first realization, <clears throat> but... He's like, I should step down for this one. Um, my my agility is and my practices are not 
on par clearly with um with hers so it's it was just very powerful she's fucking furious yeah yeah it's a it's probably a career-defining role i would say um do we know what we're covering next or um we're gonna talk about that yeah i guess there's a lot to choose from we knew this was going to be our first episode pretty early on because this is a movie we both love it's it perfectly encapsulates uh the decade in crazy new filmmaking that's never really been attempted and how technology has allowed that to happen that and how reboots and sequels are so popular and and this is one that's not only looked upon as done correctly, but looked upon as one that is superior. Um, and how they can be done in so many different ways. But yeah, we'll 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 be doing some some brainstorming about what to do next, and um, yeah, it should be good. All right. All so, right. where can they follow you on the social medias and websites? I'm a Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and. Um, I write for the Simple Cinephile, so definitely check them out. Doing great things over there. All right, my name is Clay Williams. Uh, you can follow me at Clayfilm100 on Twitter, and I'm on an app called Stardust where you upload 30 second reactions to movies and television episodes and give your thoughts. Uh, please download that. Follow me at Clayfilm100 there, and uh, please check it out. I think it's a great app, great community. And also, I think you can follow both of us on Letterboxd. I'm at Clayfilm100. I'm usually at that everywhere, so just search for it. All right. We'll put all that in the description, Art. All right. Thank you for listening.